0: Welcome to the OmniTalk Fast Five, sponsored by Takeoff and the A&M Consumer and Retail Group. The OmniTalk Fast Five is the funniest, fastest, and most fervently insightful breakdown of all the week's top news in the world of retail, and also the podcast with the best alliteration. It's July 22nd, 2021. I'm your host, Anne Mazinga, joined today by the brilliant, benevolent, and best-in-class A&M Consumer and Retail Group team, Dave Ritter
1: and Kristen Kohler Bros.
0: How are you guys doing today? Welcome back. It's like coming home, having you guys on the show. What's been going on?
1: Awesome. You know, enjoying the the summertime and uh have taken a couple weeks off. So it's been a great summer. Looking forward to the the discussion today.
0: So I was going to ask you guys about the Olympics, but it feels like that is just not nobody is is into talking about that right now. Are you guys into like have you been following it? Are you like you'd care. Are you up at three 30 in the morning to like watch table tennis or do you have other plans for the weekend? What's going on? Kristen, are you into this?
2: Oh, I'm, I am totally into it. I have to say, I mean, I'm a <gasps> huge, well, I'm a huge summer and winter Olympics fan. Okay. Um, I, I'm to me just the, the level that these athletes operate, for example, like Simone files. I mean, I just, she's competing against herself just to compete against herself. Um, you right. know it's it's just very inspiring so i'm i'm looking forward to them
0: um hopefully happening well and dave what about you
1: i'm, I'm also up. a big fan although i have to admit i'm a basketball fan uh of yes. usa basketball and between covid and uh you know the nba finals uh, finishing so tight to the olympics i'm really nervous i think there's a you know for the first time in a long time we uh we stand to to maybe not medal which is terrifying
0: Oh, I know. Well, the closest I'm getting to Olympics these days or basketball is um Space Jam. I don't know if you guys have seen that, but that's like the world in our house right now is like this Space Jam release. Um, we're getting like the Nike shoes, we're like yep. doing all the t-shirts, everything.
2: I, I took the three boys on uh Sunday and it I, you know, I did do my usual, I fell asleep for the first 20 minutes because that's what I have to do when I when I when I recline in those chairs and finally am forced to relax. Um, but I I enjoyed it. I, would you say compared to the first one, would you give it a thumbs up or a thumbs down? We,
0: we have yet to see it because we are in the thick of baseball championship like state tournaments right now. So we are like built. It's the build up. We're like getting all the gear ready. But next week is the week, Kristen. So I will I will have to report back mm-hmm. and tell you. What our final analysis was of Space Jam, but uh, I don't so know. MJ's going to be t-
2: you. You get the gear first, and then do you yes. wear it gear to the? Yes, one hundred percent.
0: Yeah, we're waiting for the Nike shipment to arrive now so that we can <laughs> oh. wear our uh, Wiley e. Coyote um, Air Maxes to the <laughs> to the screening. <laughs> well, you guys, let's get started talking about the retail news, almost as exciting as Space Jam. Actually, I would say the retail geek in me says more exciting than Space Jam. Uh, this week, we're going to talk about Foxtrot Market adding 50 new locations, AFI opening two cashierless stores in California and one across the pond in the UK, up getting into retail as a service, kicking off a partnership with Madewell or expanding that partnership with Madewell, Bite Ninjas, gig-working remote drive-through order takers, And now we'll take off with our first headline. Headline number one is Uber announced two big additions to their team this week, Costco and Albertsons are now partnering with Uber and Uber Eats. The first is a pilot delivery service with Costco in Texas where customers can get groceries delivered within minutes through Uber if they spend $35 or more. Costco, as you may recall from past podcasts, is also going to be continuing their partnership with Instacart. Um, And then next, we heard Albertsons rolling out. On-demand delivery via Uber and Uber Eats for 1,200 stores across the country, adding to their current roster of delivery partners, also Instacart and DoorDash. For Albertsons, this is uh, their their partnership with Uber is the first major grocery expansion in the U.S., more than doubling the availability um, of the grocery delivery offering now available to over 400 cities and towns across the U.S., including major markets like San Francisco, New York City, and Washington D.C. Dave. I- uh, let's go to you first on this one. Um, this is this is pretty significant news at Uber adding these two, especially the Albertsons one being the largest um, grocery connection that they've had so far. What are your thoughts on this?
1: You know, and it, it, I think it's a big deal. It does seem like these type of announcements are coming out reasonably frequently. Um, you know, as the the delivery ecosystem kind of evolves. Um, I, for me, this is this is about expanding the partner network for Albertsons and Costco, and diversifying away from Instacart to a certain extent. I think everyone knows that Instacart's the powerhouse and uh, and has a lot of power uh, in the de- uh, grocery delivery market specifically. And, and you know, this this puts takes a bit of their leverage away. I think in discussions with Albertsons and Costco. Um, that said, I also think there's a bigger point around the grocery delivery ecosystem. You know, in the old days, it used to be Instacart handled everything from the customer order to picking, to packing, to delivery. Um, I think in a world where retailers are trying to make this more and more profitable, um, kind of breaking those elements apart and uh, and thinking about the most profitable partnership in each of those silos uh, makes a lot of sense. And I think we can expect to see that expand where it's not a, a one-size-fits-all partnership, but, but elements of that. Ecosystem handled by different vendors or partners.
0: I I think you hit it spot on there Dave. I mean, this is no longer about being in the middle of a pandemic and needing to just go with whoever can service the most customers the most quickly. I think it's just it's the natural like progression of business. Like now we're getting more players, you're going to have to have, you know, some competitive pricing for providing these third party logistics and and also like we just there's no profit in that for the groceries. Like there's no way to do that right now in house um, and even this morning, you know, we saw Instacart now offering fulfillment as a service. They're they're going to keep expanding their offerings. Same with DoorDash, likely, and, and Uber and others, um, where they're kind of helping grocers figure this part of it out. Kristen, what are your thoughts on this one? Do you have anything that, you know, that comes to mind when you think about these these major retailers adding more partners?
2: Yeah, they're leveraging Uber, who has more drivers, presumably, right? So more scale, so eventually better cost. So then, that, then I take it to, what does this really mean for Instacart down the road? How mm-hmm. is Instacart going to best differentiate themselves if, you know, Uber Eats continues to sort of leverage and build off of the different service mm-hmm. offerings? What does Instacart then have over an Uber Eats if they don't have the same sort of mass and scale of, of drivers?
0: That's a great point. I mean, I think that's why, like the the headline this morning about their partnership with Fabric to kind of not just be the delivery driver, but also to have this fulfillment service for the grocers that, you know, gives them the kind of edge. Whereas you're right, Uber, you know, you have the flexibility now as an Uber driver to be delivering, you know, delivering food, delivering people, delivering other goods, not just, you know, contained to one area like Instacart is where, you know, we're just delivering products to people's doors. Um, Dave, any closing thoughts on this one?
1: Yeah, I mean, for me, this actually is the best news for take off your other partners, because <laughs> Instacart is going to have to get faster and more efficient to to hit that two hour delivery window. So I think we'll we'll see a bunch of network design changes and and, and some interesting micro fulfillment sensor implementations in the coming uh, you know months and years.
0: Right. Absolutely. And, and yeah, that's a great point too. Like, you know, they're bringing in fabric who has lots of experience with, you know, fulfillment centers and automation, but for Instacart, this is a new, this is a new thing and somebody else that's taking a piece of that pie too, when it all comes down to it at the end of the day. So one to watch for sure. They, like we said, Dave, you know, things are going to keep going. These announcements in grocery are just going to keep coming hard at us. So going on to another grocery and convenience Story here. According to OmniTalk listener and grocery dive rep- reporter katherine Douglas Moran, Foxtrot Market announced on Tuesday that it plans to open 50 locations across the US over the course of the next uh, two years. So, Foxtrot, if you're not familiar, an upscale, upscale convenience store that sources um, almost 40% of its products locally, plans to expand to new markets in New York City, Boston, Miami la houston and austin texas and not only are they talking about expanding but the traditional footprint of these foxtrot markets has been around five thousand square feet and now they're saying that these new stores will double in size of the current stores and feature on-site dining revamped cafe menus merchandising and an assortment that really emphasizes this product discovery mindset um Foxtrot also has a proprietary app for online ordering another component of this. And so they will, they also staff their own delivery couriers, uh, unlike, unlike the Instacart, what we were model, we were just talking about, um, and their couriers will deliver within 30 minutes or provide store pickup orders ready in five minutes. Uh, Kristen, let's go to you here. What, what are your thoughts on Foxtrot market?
2: I love this.
0: Um, you know, to
2: me, this, This is yet another example of sort of the bifurcation of of really each market, right? You have the lower end, more convenient, more, you know, better cost, sort of quick serve offerings, and you have the higher end, more experiential offerings, really what we're seeing kind of in every space out there. Um, On a personal note, um, I mean, I have my big grocery shop every week, but with three growing boys, I have to make one or two. Extra shops in the middle. There. Yeah. And this for me, you know, provides me with really, you know, kind of a respite, right? A way to get out of the house, um, experience new foods, grab a glass of wine. Um, I I think this is is spot on and really um, you know, is really another example uh, again of the bifurcation of really every space in terms of higher end, experiential, lower end, more cost focused.
0: Dave. What? Anything to add on there, thoughts about that? Yeah, I, mean- I mean,
1: listen, I, I, I don't, this isn't really new news. They raised for over $40 million in venture capital, so we knew that they were going to expand. You know, the question I have is, you know, what's materially different than the Italy's of the world here? Um, I, you know, could they go into 50 markets and be successful? Absolutely. Is there much beyond that? I struggle to think, you know, outside of those major urban areas, I do think one interesting point around this, though, is that they've hired some Momofuku alumni. Mm -hmm. Um, And if you, I don't know if you follow them, but they've done a bunch, the alumni, other alumni have done very interesting stuff in the ghost kitchen space, where they've started to combine, you know, high-end restaurants with ghost kitchens. So I could imagine, you know, 50-ish flagship locations supported by a kind of a ghost kitchen and, uh, you know, delivery-based offer in, in other markets, smaller, maybe less Elite markets that uh, that starts to get interesting. So I think you know it's a good foundation, not super exciting, but there's it it could be a very interesting platform for growth.
0: I agree, Dave. I think that for me, the biggest thing that's missing from this, you guys, is the the cashierless checkout component. If I was in the cashierless checkout space, I would be going hard after these guys. I know they have a proprietary app, but when you're core to your business, and especially if you're thinking about being at the bottom of like a multifamily building, Yes, there's you know, grab they, they're saying they can do picking in five minutes, but for me to be able to go in and gr- like walk in, grab my things and get out of there as soon as possible, I think is going to be a huge opportunity for them. Um, and if it's, it's not something they're looking into already, something they could they could definitely consider um, expanding into. As we are talking about cashierless checkout, um, headline number three specifically goes into AFI, another cashierless checkout provider who has announced that they are opening two more cashless checkout stores this week, two in one week, one with Morrison's headquartered in the UK and two Loop neighborhood convenience stores similar to the Foxtrot markets that we were just talking about Um, and those are based in the Bay Area of California. Now, AFI uses camera-only computer vision technology. That's their kind of differentiator in the market Um, and they're well known for their nano stores, which are these self-contained mobile pod stores, um, similar to like a shipping container kind of size and shape. Now the Loop neighborhood stores currently have those nano stores, but the Bay Area stores that they are opening this week are going to be hybrid stores. So customers will walk in, scan a QR code to enter the retrofit store, take items off the shelf and walk out. And Morrison's concept is one of those nano stores within their headquarters, but they are saying that Morrison's will plan to to move this pod to other locations to test in the UK. Kristen... What are you thinking about this cashierless checkout? I'm I'm clearly all for it. I'm super pumped about it. What are your thoughts here on this this latest expansion from AFI?
2: Well, you know, a couple things. One, you know, clearly if, if this starts to to work, you know, what happens to the role of of store labor as part of the store experience? Obviously, that that needs to shift. I guess to push back, my bigger question is. Is there a point where the cost to implement this really outweighs the benefit? I don't, you know, when I check out, like when I check out at the smaller stores yeah. these days, even my regional grocer, it takes me five minutes. It's not a big pain point for me. They figured out the labor model where they can sort of flex and flow. So if there's, you know, more than two people in line, they open up another space. So you know, really, what is the thought process behind, you know, where is that tipping point where this really, the juice isn't really worth the squeeze on this one?
0: Sure. Yeah. I think you're bringing up a lot of questions that a lot of grocers are asking, you know, how do I, one being like, can this roll out? How soon can this roll out to Amazon fresh size proportions, where we're talking a full size grocery store beyond you know a two hundred and fifty square foot nanopod? Um, and then also, like, what 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 am I going to be saving? What's the immediate return on investment, Dave? What are your thoughts on this?
1: Yeah, so I've talked to you and Chris about this before. I absolutely love this. I think cashierless checkout is is a key component of retail of the future. And between this announcement. Rabangos, Pilots, the guys at Trigo are having a bunch of success. Um, I think there's some buzz around cashierless checkout that involves retrofits and camera only, which addresses some of Kristen's concerns about the capital expense. You don't have to put in new shelves. This can be retrofitted without doing a full kind of remodel of the store, which is important. Um, The other thing that I'd highlight about this example specifically is this is one of the few that have shared pictures. Um, I have, you know, I've seen pictures of the Grabango Giant Eagle pilot and it's great and and looks and it looks it's hidden and it's customer friendly. I had early pilots, though, had, you know, hundreds of cameras along the ceilings that gave a a big brother like feel. So I think one of the things that I liked about this is as an evolution in the cashierless space is it it doesn't feel as big brother like. Uh, it is—it's uh, more of a natural shopping experience, which I think will be a customer hurdle that 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 this type of cashierless technology will have to overcome.
0: That is a great point, Dave. I mean, yeah, I think that. You know, you brought up you brought up Trigo, one of the the partners we work with um, as our expert in all of the nuance that's involved in cashierless checkout. I mean, this is not these headlines are going to become more and more familiar with people. We're going to be seeing so much talk about more retailers testing and doing pilots for cashierless checkout, but things like privacy. How are you making sure that the customer feels comfortable shopping in this way? There, there is. Uh, Yair Holzer from Trigo, who's a, who I it, you can go to omni-talk.blog to catch that interview, but he really outlines what that rubric is that retailers should be thinking of when they're approaching this kind of concept because they're not all the same. And when you see, you know, this headline, or you see, you know, any of the other Grabangos giant eagle concept that you'd mentioned, Dave, all these other concepts, there is so much nuance in this size of the store. You mentioned they're showing videos, but I mean, the nanopods are 250 square feet. We We have, you know, some of the other concepts that A5 has released are 5,000 square feet. That's what the loop neighborhood stores will be. But then you have Amazon Go that's doing, you know, 25 and 30,000 square foot stores. And there's so much that retailers really have to be paying attention to closely to figure out what the best approach will be for them how and and it's not going to be if you're not going to use Amazon technology right now, it's not going to be a thirty thousand square foot store. It's going to be rethinking your business model into what am I going to do? Am I going to do a grab and go store next door to my large you know grocery store so that Kristen can make her fill in trips without having to wait in line and you know get those ones and twos things. But really, you know, just I caution our listeners to be very critical, Dave. Like as you're saying, look for the photos, look for the the special self dispensing beverage capabilities that people can do. Like there's so much to dig into here that um, you really got to go go beyond the headlines. All right, let's move on to headline number four. Madewell has expanded their existing partnership with ThreadUp, becoming ThreadUp's first Raz. That's resale as a service in case you needed that reference. I did because I've heard that a few other times. Uh, But Roz is the big thing that ThreadUp's going forward with now. They are going to launch a 360 resale platform with Madewell. So Madewell's had this platform in existence before where customers can bring in um, their pre-loved denim, but now customers can shop that section of the Madewell site to buy any brand of jeans, not just Madewell. Kristen, you have been following resale really closely. I'm going to put you on the spot, though, for a deeper dive question. And then, Dave, we're going to go to you, because this week, instead of A&M putting us on the spot, we are putting A&M on the spot. So, Dave and Kristen, with the resale market expected to be valued at $64 billion by 2025, that's in just a few short years now. What do you think is keeping more retailers from adopting this more quickly and what should they be thinking through as they approach bringing this in-house? Kristen, how do you answer that very important question for retailers?
2: So I, I think the biggest challenges that, that brands really think about is how is it going to impact their first cost business, right? So, so they're thinking, you know, am I really trading the customer down here? Um, Bottom line, as you mentioned, this is a growing market. We know that sustainability is increasingly important to the, in particular, the Gen Z customer. Um, I I think brands have to figure out how to do this versus how to do this, how to make money with this versus not to do it. So so you're going to have to do it. So what's the best way to do it? Um, And I think that what we can see from Madewell, I like the idea of of really, clearly segmenting the two offerings. Um, I do, you know, I do have some concern, you know, with what Lululemon's doing and what that in-store experience, you know, is like. Although knowing Lululemon, um, they'll they'll figure it out. Um, So I think the biggest, the biggest, I think the biggest challenge, again, that many brands are facing is that question of, of really, what's the impact to my first cost business?
0: Sure. Yeah, and I think that you bring up a good point, Kristen, too, in that you know this this concept with thread up doesn't really require the retailer to have to do anything. Like people are still just bringing in their bags of stuff. It's pretty low friction f- for both the customer and for the retailer because then they're being sent off, they're being photographed, and then they're put on there. It's not like you know what some of the other retailers might be thinking of, where like this is now a barrier for or another thing that our our in store retail staff will have to tackle. Dave, you, you guys are working with some of the biggest and best brands. They gotta be, I, I have to imagine, they gotta be asking you guys questions like this. How do how do you tackle resale? Um, how do we we profit off of this? What would you be telling them?
1: So I think first you just have to say resale is here to stay. Like it's it's a big market, it's a growing market. You have to embrace it. Running from it is not a good strategy. Um, you have to make it part of your brand community. It has to be an accepted customer journey and you have to understand how that customer journey actually needs to go. So we're advising our customers or our our clients to do several things. So I think the first is you've got to solve this as a separate business unit. You can't have your core merch team operate this as well. It's just too much inherent contradiction in that model. Um, I think the second thing is you need to understand from a customer perspective, what does this customer journey look like? because there is a way to embrace this and eventually get that customer back on the buy your core product uh kind of you know element of the journey right. uh, i think of this as an interim step to get, you know that keeps them in the family and then eventually migrates them up to your core to your kind of core brand and then last is like there's so many benefits to this that you can embrace and 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 and, and frankly build your brand on whether it's green you know whether it's the, you know, it, the gen Z population just feels better about uh, you know a more digital forward platform There's, there's just a lot right. of, of benefit that that you can you can actually uh leverage.
0: Yeah, getting your your Gen Z customer in at or or people who are first time customers, regardless of what age they are, but really getting them to be able to have this exposure to the brand um, at a lower price point, but then graduate into, like you said, Dave, spending more money. It's funny, like when you're talking about it being a separate business unit, it kind of reminds me back in my days at Target when it was like e-com versus in store, you know, like long time ago where it was like, well, wait, but but it, you're right. There are completely different business models that people People have to really nurture and grow and build the team so that they can work together to support both sides of this business. But it's not going away.
1: I eventually think they could be merged into one unit. But similar to e-com, if you try to put e-com with your core business, it, it was struggling to grow, right? I think you have to treat it separately, incubate it until it gets big enough to stand alone and be you know, a big enough part of the business that you know how to operate it.
0: Right, and and how are you piloting that? How are you figuring out how to test that? We we interviewed um, Adam Siegel. He's the founder of a company called Recurate, and it was one of my favorite uh, expert interviews that we've done so far because his product is doing that like they're bringing you're you're buying on the brand it's very similar to the madewell experience however you know it's it's getting credit in exchange for for pr- like products that you're finding and discovering for the first time on there they're able to authenticate as kristen mentioned that product firsthand right there and it's a really it's a risk-free way to be testing this kind of concept and and just g- build and grow into it see what kind of customer adoption is there if it's just online and you're just testing it there you're able to gather so much information before you really bring this into one unit of in-store and econ like we're seeing Lululemon and and Madewell doing. Um, Just fascinating. What a huge business this is going to be. Uh, well, let's go to our last headline, Bite Ninja, who is a tech company started by the owner of Baby Jack's, a QSR in Memphis, who is supplying restaurants with a virtual cashiers and drive through operators that can take orders remotely. So workers, known as ninjas, obviously, uh, they sign up for a shift via the Bite Ninja platform, which manages all the scheduling and logistics of getting the workers set up for their shift at the restaurant. It also trains workers on both the technology um, and how to take each of the restaurant's order, both for, you know, general brands and for specific brands. And then the customer experience is basically the same, except when you pull up, it's like this Zoom screen. You know, you just you see somebody that's taking your order and the ninja is not actually in the restaurant. They could be anywhere in the world. So I put this out. Um, it was from the Spoon. This article from the Spoon earlier this week. You guys, I have been getting so many emails and ch- like messages about this concept. What, Dave? Let's start with you. I mean, do you think that there's something here? Are you are you in and on bite ninjas? What do you think?
1: So listen, I absolutely love this concept. I, uh, I think this is uh, about to be a huge wave of the future in retail, especially given the tight labor market conditions. So I think right. anything you can do labor-wise to improve training, reduce errors, while at the same time, removing some of the downtime that's associated by sharing these people across drive-ins uh, is a great concept. I've been saying for several years that the gig economy needs to come to retail, whether it's call outs, you know, I don't think it has to be remote and zoom. Like I think there's a bigger gig economy and retail conversation that the, that we as a community should be having. I know that there's, there's a few uh, startup concepts in the space. There's a stealth company here in my hometown, Austin, that's looking at it. That's got a really cool gig retail platform. But I think, I think we're on the brink of, uh, I think we're on the brink of the gig economy being, a big component of of the services that retailers and restaurants provide more broadly.
0: Uh, Kristen, what are your thoughts here?
2: So I love this from a perspective of solving the labor problem. I love this from a perspective of being more cost efficient. My concern is again, like where's the tipping point of customer experience? Like, can you really train these people to deliver you know, you know, be the order takers and the order and then the and the, and deliver the food in the way that matches how you want your brand to show up. That's my big question mark.
0: Yeah, I think I think that's a fair point. I think, you know, if I was actually wondering, Kristen, I took it even a step further. I was like, do we even need this? When I first read this, I'm like, why can't we just use voice? Like voice seems to right. be so progressing at a level that it feels like I should just be able to say, I want a number nine with fries move on the head. Do I, you know, scan my QR code and, you know, pop out from a locker and get my food Does does fast food need to even have people working there at all? And then I asked my I asked Siri to have my husband pick up um, a gallon of elk um, on the way home instead of milk. So I think that there's still some advantage to and, and especially when you think about somebody not being stuck inside the restaurant like this for me really opens up gig work, like Dave was saying, to the kind of of job that people can have on their own schedules and whenever they want to and and allows people to have that opportunity. And maybe the brand experience will be better because they're not having to be in the physical building. Dave, you're shaking your head. You got some thoughts here. Yeah, no, so I,
1: I, I actually disagree with Kristen. I mean, all three of us have worked in retail and watched the training of frontline employees. I think having standardized training that's not executed at a store level but can be across all stores in a standard and kind of best practice fashion could actually improve the training of the individuals. As,
0: so like you're arming them with the ability to work across more, like you're giving them actually better skill sets because they're not centered on one particular retailer. It's, it's kind of opening up them up. Or to even
1: one retail uh, manager, right? Like every store manager trains a little bit differently. If you could have the best store manager in your network, be the trainer for your gig platform, theoretically, those people would get training from the best person that you have. And in that way, I think you could actually improve training for everyone.
0: I think that's a fantastic point. You guys, you were just killing it today. That closes us up um, on the headlines, but it is time for rapid fire questions. Are you guys ready? Ready as will ever (laughs) be. First question we mentioned it briefly at the beginning. You guys are both into the Summer Olympics. So I want to know which Summer Olympics game you'd most want to compete in. Kristen, I'm starting with you.
2: You know, I mentioned gymnastics, so I have to go I have to go with gymnastics. And um I don't think you want me to break out into R. Kelly's I can believe I believe I can fly, but <laughs> that's
0: kind of what
2: I'm thinking. Oh my God.
0: Love it. Well, Kristen, I am right there with you. It will be a duet of, I believe I can fly because I would also be gymnastics. Dave, what about you? Men's
1: hoops. I grew up as a huge dream team fan. So that would be definitely my choice.
0: Dave, after this podcast I'm going to figure out how to like superimpose your head on LeBron's body so that we can just do like oh, some no, sort
1: it, it, of like bird like I'm I'm old. I, Larry I, bird.
0: I... Oh yeah, <laughs> bird. Jordan versus Bird. I'll find I'll find the like the video game version and I'll I'll find a way to superimpose your head on there. Okay, next question. Songfinch, a startup being called the cameo for music allows fans to have artists create one kind of unique song about their lives. They just raised another 2 million dollar seed round. What artist, Kristen and Dave, are you hiring to create a one-of-a-kind unique song about your life? Dave, you first. I
1: would like Tupac to do it if, if we could go back in time. I think yes. that would be epic. I mean, I'd like to enter every meeting with that song playing. Uh, that said, that's <laughs> not a, a, an option. So I think maybe like Zach Brown Band would be fun. Uh, that, that'd be the direction I went.
0: I love that Dave has walk-up music for meetings. Um, that is fantastic. I'm going to have to figure out how to work that into our next podcast together. Kristen, what about you?
2: I'm going to have to go with Imagine Dragons just because I am a believer. Yeah. Um, and I, I don't know my kids play, I'm a believer in thunder every time they put a song on for me. So, um, I got to go with the magic dragons.
0: All right. Next question. Peloton just launched a video game in their digital experience that allows you to control a wheel by pedaling faster. Which video game is most likely to get you motivated to move dance, dance, revolution, guitar hero, or this Peloton wheel. Kristen, let's start with you.
2: Oh, I have to go with dance dance because the other thing is in my next life, I will be a solid gold dancer if there is such a thing as solid gold anymore.
0: I think I'm with you, Kristen. I think I'd have to go dance, dance, revolution. Uh, Dave, what about you? Uh,
1: None of the three of those appeal to me terribly, but I'll go guitar hero.
0: You're going to get those that arm workout from like totally just exactly. grinding away. That's that's amazing. All right. Next question. Target announced they'll be opening Ulta Shop and Shops in 100 stores starting next month, making the retailer even more of a one-stop shop. If I were to look back on your big box or grocery retail receipts from the last six months, Dave and Kristen, what would be the most random three products you've purchased at one of those one-stop shops, Dave. You go first.
1: 50 pounds of live crawfish is a pretty weird one. We had a crawfish <laughs> boil. Um, uh, the second thing I thought of, as you mentioned, this was reader glasses, which is sad, but true. Um, those are probably the two weirdest for me.
0: Uh, yes. These are things that I like when you go up to the cashier, mine were ant traps, cilantro, and a kid's birthday gift all in one order that I I just walked up and I was like, this poor Cashier is like, what in the hell is going on with this woman? Why is she buying just these three things today? Kristen, what are yours?
2: Well, my my literally core power, which you know is the the like energy drink for my son, chocolate chips, and beer. So.
0: Just popping chocolate chips and getting energy and then bringing it all down with, uh, with the beer. Um, okay. Next question, you guys related to beer, uh, Walmart just released their own line of $10 wines. If you had $10 to spend at a liquor store, are you trying the Walmart wine? And if not, what are you putting that $10 toward instead?
1: I guess I'd try it. That wouldn't be my pick though. I think I'd be a little nervous about Walmart wine. I'd probably go with uh, you know, just like a six pack of, uh, perhaps blue ribbon or something, uh, <laughs> something a little bit more old school, but trusted.
0: Yes, absolutely. Kristen, what about you?
2: Yeah, I have to say Walmart wine. just does not quite have a ring. Yeah. To you're
0: it. a, you're a wine connoisseur. So I, I don't see you dropping $10 on the, the Walmart wine, but what, what are you putting that toward instead?
2: You know, it's summer and I love my infused tequila. So Ooh. I think I think one of the infused tequilas with a little bit of lime in it. You know, that's why I put my ten dollars.
0: Oh, I love it. I'm I'm going with the Pacifico Sixer. I have to say that's going to be my that's going to be my ten dollar drop uh, in in the uh, liquor store at Walmart. I don't know if I'm on the Walmart $10 wine train yet, but there's still time. Uh, Dave, Kristen, thank you so much for being with us today. If people want to, Dave, come to your crawfish boil or Kristen, try your infused tequila, uh, where's the best place for them to find you if they'd also like expert retail
1: advice? You can DM me on LinkedIn or... D Ritter, D R I T T E R, at Alvarez and Marcel.com.
2: Similar to Dave, uh, right on LinkedIn, uh, Kristen Kohler Burroughs, or at AM, and that is just K Burroughs, B U R R O W S, as in Sam, um, at Alvarez and
0: Thank you both so much. You've been fantastic partners and guest hosts this week. Happy birthday to Don Henley of Every Dad in America's favorite band, the Eagles, and Selena Gomez, who is likely conceived while an Eagles song was playing. (laughs) And if you can only read or listen to one retail blog in the business, make it OmniTalk. Our Fast Five podcast is the quickest, fastest rundown of all the week's top news, and our twice-weekly e-newsletter tells you the top five things you need to know each day and also features special content exclusive to us and just for you. All within the preview pane of your inbox. You can sign up today at Omnitalk.blog. Thanks as always for listening in. Please remember to like and leave us a review wherever you happen to listen to your podcast or on YouTube. And of course, be careful out there. The Omnitalk Fast Five is brought to you with the help and support of the AM Consumer and Retail Group. The a and Consumer and Retail Group is a management consulting firm that tackles the most complex challenges and advances its clients, people, and communities toward their maximum potential. CRG brings the expertise, tools, and operator-like pragmatism to help retailers and consumer products companies be on the right side of disruption. And Takeoff. Takeoff is transforming grocery by empowering grocers to thrive online. The key is micro-fulfillment, small robotic fulfillment centers that can be leveraged at a hyper-local scale. Takeoff also offers a robust software suite so grocers can seamlessly integrate the robotic solution into their existing businesses. To learn more, visit Takeoff.com.